Grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. My house, we sing a lot of songs with our kids. You know, we have little ones, so we sing the classics. Jesus loves me, the B-I-B-L-E. Amen. God is so good. But one of our favorites is the song, This Little Light of Mine. Y'all know that one? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And my favorite part is when they say, hide it under a bushel. Some of y'all were ready. Some of y'all missed it. I said, hide it under a bushel. Good, we cannot do that. Cannot hide it under a bushel. And that's a classic song. I love this song. You know, it teaches our kids uh, that, that those who follow Jesus have God inside them. We have this light that we're supposed to shine and display to the world. But here's what happens. We learn that song as kids growing up in church, and then we forget it as we get older. We start to worry about what people think about us. We start to worry about not fitting in or uh, being accepted. We become captive to the temptations of the world, and we struggle with things and life. And so over time, we dim that light within us. We keep it private and personal and tucked away because it's inconvenient or awkward. We hide it under a bushel. And to that, I say with the song, no. no. As followers of Jesus, we know that can't be. We're called to be distinct, to stand out. We just sang it, to shine out our faith in Jesus. And that's what I want to remind us this morning. Today, we're in the third week of a series walking through the five habits that we believe as a church should mark the life of every Jesus follower. They are surrender, sustain, sacrifice, shine, and share. We adopted those habits as a church several years ago, and we're kicking off 2023 by challenging one another to live them out and to live what we're calling a 5S year. So far, we've covered surrender, which says, I will daily submit to Jesus as my king. Then we talked about sustain, which says, I will discipline myself to experience God's transforming power. Let's look today in week three at our shine habit as we build on what we learned yesterday at our 5S conference. Uh, Let's start with our passage of scripture. That's the foundation for this habit. Then we'll end with the declaration and we'll have our practical challenge. But look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. The words of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First thing we need to understand about this passage is the context in which we find it. These verses come from a sermon of Jesus, his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In this profound message, Jesus is describing what it means to be of his kingdom rather than of the kingdom of the world. So it's this countercultural message where a lot of what he says is, is startling, it's surprising. He takes the things that the world says and then kind of flips them on their head. Perhaps nothing in this sermon demonstrates that countercultural idea more than what we call the Beatitudes. 
Look up a few verses, verses 3 through 12. Jesus gives nine qualities or kinds of people that God blesses. And those qualities set the stage for this whole countercultural message. He says that whereas the world blesses those who are strong, smart, powerful, confident, Jesus said that God blesses those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are persecuted. You see how he's just kind of flipping everything we believe on its head? And these Beatitudes lay a foundation for the rest of the sermon. Jesus builds on this description of his followers. And right after the Beatitudes comes our passage today. These verses talk about how followers of Jesus must shine forth in a distinct way from the world around them. As they inhabit those characteristics of the Beatitudes, they will and should stand out. And that standing out, that shining, is essential to the Christian life. It is standard fare for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So let's break down these verses a bit more. And as we do, I want to share with you three reasons that we must shine as Jesus' followers. Here's the first. Number one, we must shine for the proof of our testimony. It's for the proof of our testimony. This passage gives us two visual images to explain and compare the way in which followers of Jesus should stand out as distinct from the culture around them. Those images are salt and light. Why salt and light? Think back with me to the first century world. That's the time when Jesus walked the earth and gave this sermon. This was, believe it or not, before the internet, before electricity, before cars or planes, before the English language had even been spoken. This was a very different world from the one we inhabit today. And while salt and light are still important to us today in the year 2023, they were that much more important in the year A.D. 30. It was recorded in a Roman history book at this time that salt and sunshine were two of the most important things a man could have. Salt in this time had several practical functions. One of those was just like today. It was for the seasoning of food. Any salt lovers in here? I think everybody has that one person in their family that just salts everything. (laughs) We love salt, and that's not necessarily a great thing, we know. But it gives flavor to food, and that was true back then as well. But the biggest use of salt in the first century world was for the preservation of food. Before refrigeration, salt was used to keep meat and fish from rotting and spoiling. So it was a necessity to living and surviving. And anyone that would have heard this sermon originally, they would have understood that completely. Then there was light. That one's a bit easier for us to understand. When you don't have electricity, natural light becomes all the more important. Can you imagine a world where there was zero artificial light? These people, they had to plan their whole lives around daylight in the first century. And then at nighttime, they would rely on oil lamps in their homes to see and to get around. Again, the original hearers, they would have heard this and they would have understood immediately what Jesus was saying. Salt and light were distinct and recognizable. When you add salt to food or light to a dark room, no one misses it. It's obvious and apparent and even vital to survive. So this is why Jesus does not say, hey, try to be like salt or try to be like light. No, what does he say? He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's saying, if you follow me, if you're blessed by God, as we saw in the Beatitudes, if you're a member of the kingdom of God, this is who you are. 
You will stand out. You will be distinct and different. You will shine, and everyone will see it. When I was in high school, I worked at a grocery store in our small town, and as part of being an employee, I was required to wear a collared shirt, a name tag, and my least favorite part, a bright red apron. I was not overly fond of wearing the apron, so in protest, I kept it as dirty as I possibly could. (laughs) There were stains all over it so that they routinely took it from me and gave me a new one and threw that one away. But the biggest reason I hated that apron was because it made me a marked man. It was bright red. So every time someone needed something, they looked for me. I couldn't blend in. I couldn't hide behind the toilet paper. When someone broke a a jar of pickles on aisle two, guess who was cleaning it up? When the bathroom was dirty, guess who they called? When shopping carts needed to be brought in, guess who they started looking for? (laughs) The red apron made me stand out. (laughs) Apparently that was the point. Maybe you have something in your job that distinguishes you as an employee. You have a name tag or a lanyard or a uniform of some kind. That's the whole idea here. As followers of Jesus, that's how, that's the way we should stand out. There should be something about us that marks us from everyone else that makes us distinguishable and identifiable. There should be distinct qualities in the way we talk, in the way we treat people, in the way we work that looks different. It might even look strange compared to the rest of our culture. We don't worry about the things the world worries about. We don't fight about the things the world fights about. We don't spend our money the way the world spends their money. We don't dream and plan like the world dreams and plans. And that distinctness, that difference, that strangeness is a proof of our testimony. It communicates to everyone else that we do not follow the way of the world, but we follow the way of Jesus. It tells people that we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to him. It's like a red apron declaring that I am a saved, transformed child of God. What if that's not there? What if there is no distinction? What if there's no difference in us? What if someone claims to be a follower of Jesus, but their life looks no different from anyone else? What we sometimes say in those situations is, you know, we, we, we can't judge them. Only God knows their heart. But that's not exactly what Jesus says. It's not really what the Bible teaches. Yes, we can never say definitively whether someone is saved or not. That's not our place. But Jesus taught that you can recognize someone's spiritual state by their fruit. He said later in the same sermon in Matthew 7, he said, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. We can look at the fruit of someone's life, the way they live, and that is an indicator of what's going on in their heart. Again, I'm not saying we should walk around judging everyone we see and pronouncing their eternal state. But we can have a good idea by looking at their life. Jesus tells us right here, if someone is not salty, they're not salt. And if someone is not, for lack of a better term, lighty, they're not light. Jesus says says it even stronger when he says this. He says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Man, he's not mincing words here. If salt does not do what salt is supposed to do, it has no point. 
It is as good as dirt, according to Jesus. So being distinct, standing out, shining for Jesus is so essential to the Christian life that it is proof of our testimony. It provides a visible confirmation to others that we are believers. It shows ourselves, other believers, and the world that we have a different master, a different identity, a different hope, a different purpose, and a different citizenship. That's the first reason Jesus' followers must shine. Here's the second. Number two, we must shine for the welfare of others. Jesus doesn't just say here that his followers are salt and light. Rather, he says that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So just as salt and light were beneficial and helpful to other people, that's how Jesus' followers must be as well. We not only shine to demonstrate our salvation, but we shine for the good of others. Look back at verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So one of the reasons we shine is so that other people will see our good works, not so that we can look good and get credit and be praised, but so that the other person, seeing our good works, recognizes the source of the good works and gives glory to God. We learn here from the text that our shining helps the world in two specific ways. We see that again through the use of salt and light as images. As we establish, salt is used to preserve something good. It's to keep something from spoiling or going bad. While light is used to introduce something good, something that was not there before. It's to illuminate what was previously dark. And our Christian witness in the world should do the same thing. On the one hand, like salt, when we live out the kingdom of God, when we embody those beatitudes and we live like Jesus followers and we shine, we preserve God's order and justice and goodness in society. We help to slow down the moral decay present in our world. Now, we know that we'll never be able to fully eliminate the evil and brokenness in our world. Things have been messed up since Genesis 3, and we've been through Revelation. We know that things are going to get worse until Jesus comes back. So while we're commanded to do good deeds and bring justice and help those in need, doing so will not fix the ultimate problem of our world, which is the need for Jesus. But, but like salt, we can be a sort of moral-preserving agent in society. Like as our culture breaks down and descends into insanity... We can be a witness to what is true and right, what is good. We can use the little piece of influence that each of us have to demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like here. And in doing that, we are seeking the welfare of our community and serving and loving our neighbors. On the other hand, like light, when we live out the kingdom of God, we pierce through the darkness of the world. We don't just preserve what is good, but we can actually push back the evil and bring light to places that need it. And again, as we do this, we bless those around us, our community, and our neighbors. So just as salt and light bring benefit to others, so should the lives of Jesus' followers. Wherever God places us, wherever we go, we should be a blessing to those places and to those people. I think a great example of that is one of the Old Testament figures we see in the Bible, the book of Genesis, a guy named Joseph. Remember Joseph? He had a crazy life. 
First, his brothers tried to kill him. They couldn't do it, so they threw him in a pit, sold him off to Egypt. He ended up in Potiphar's house where he's serving as a servant in Egypt. He's falsely accused. He's thrown in jail. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. He ends up becoming second leader in the whole nation to the point where he ends up saving the lives of his brothers who wanted to kill him. And all along throughout this whole story, the Bible tells us something remarkable. It tells us this over and over. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he had favor in his sight. In the pit, in prison, in a foreign nation, wherever he ended up, Joseph just served the Lord right where he was. He just did the next right thing, and he blessed those around him. That's our calling as Jesus follows. That's a great picture. Jesus said we are to be in the world, but not of the world. So we're going to be in the thick of it. That's the way God designed it. That's what he wants. He did not call us to form holy huddles or to live in Christian communes. God has called us to go to the dark places. And if you follow him, that's where you'll end up. So you can shine the light of Christ there. So you can live out your testimony there. So you can preserve what's good and push back the darkness there. And so you can bless and serve those around you there in the darkness. We must shine for the welfare of others. Here's the third and last reason Jesus' followers shine. Number three. We must shine for the glory of God. Of all the reasons to shine and live out your distinctness as a Christian, this is the greatest. When we live as salt or as light, it brings God glory. This glory doesn't just come from us, but notice it also comes from the onlookers. It's the other people who see your good works and then turn and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That word glory, it's a really difficult word to define. The glory of God is not just like giving him lip service and recognition, but that word glory, it means weight. It means worth. So to bring God glory is to show or reveal the infinite worth of God's greatness. We demonstrate through the way we live by bringing glory to God that we're saying that God is better, that his way is better, that his life is better, that nothing else can compare to him, that nothing is worth what he is worth. And here's the promise we see in this text. As we just live the way Jesus has called us to live and do the things Jesus has called us to do, he says that people will take notice. Like a light on a stand or a city on a hill, people will not be able to miss the distinctness of the difference in your life. Now, that doesn't mean everybody will like it. If you live for God's glory and for his kingdom, you may not be very popular at times. Jesus wasn't. You may not have tons of friends. You may not get the credit or recognition at your job. But make no mistake, your shining will have an effect on the people around you. When I think about shining in this way, I think about my mom. My mom is one of the shiniest Christians I know. She's one of those people that like everyone just loves, like magnetically. She, she's never met a stranger She's one of those crazy people that talks to people in elevators or like talks to people in line at the grocery store, just everywhere. My mom, she works at an elementary school in the small town I grew up in. She's a teacher's assistant, which means she makes virtually nothing for what she does. But she has an opportunity every day to shine for Jesus before her coworkers and the students she cares for in a public school system. 
And I can't count the number of times I go back home and I see people and they say, man, I just love your mom. She, there's something different about her. You know, when I, when I lost my dad, she cried with me. She dealt with this student that no one else could handle. She, she encouraged me when I was ready to quit. That's the picture that Jesus gives us in this passage. That's the calling of a Jesus follower. We shine for the proof of our testimony, for the welfare of others, and for the glory of God. So here's the declaration statement we came up with to sum up the shine habit. It says this, I will reflect the life of Christ as I engage the cultures around me. Say that after me. I will reflect the life of Christ as I engage the cultures around me. I love that image of reflecting the life of Christ. That means you and I were sort of like solar-powered lights. I have those in my front yard, my front flower bed. I have some of those cheap solar-powered lights. And here's the thing. They don't produce light on their own. Rather, what they do is they absorb light from the sun, and the energy of the sun enables them to produce light for themselves. That's similar to how we shine as believers. It's not us. I have no light in and of myself to bring to the world, but I shine because it's the life of Christ in me and being reflected out of me. That's our goal, to live and to look like Jesus. Do you know Jesus is not here anymore? He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of God, and he left us here in his place to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, when you surrender and you give your life to Jesus, it's no longer about you. It's not your life in a spiritual sense. You've died. And now Jesus lives through you. You live the life that Jesus would live if he were in your place, if he were in your shoes. To shine is to reflect the life of Christ. And here's the next key part. It's as we engage the cultures around us. I love that word engage. It means to become involved in. It's an active word. It's offense, offensive rather than defensive. So again, we're not hiding out. We're not withdrawing from the culture. We're not in retreat, living in fear or running away. But we're engaged. We're right there in the world. Jesus didn't say that we're called to be the salt of the church or to be the light of Sunday school. He said we're called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're in the world, not of the world. And here's what this means. This means your faith in Jesus is not a private or secret part of your life. But that's a challenge. In our culture today, we live in what they, they call a pluralistic and an individualistic society. That simply means that there are lots of religious and spiritual views. And everyone's beliefs are up to each individual person. No one's belief is better than anyone else's. So you shouldn't judge. You shouldn't try to persuade someone to believe what you believe. It's a personal, private thing that we all need to figure out for ourselves. And then you just live out your own truth and you accept everyone else's version of the truth. That's the kind of messaging we hear today. I was reminded of this. Amber and I were talking to this woman recently who was not a Christian. 
And we got a chance to share Christ with her and just what he's meant to us and our lives and our family. And I was kind of surprised. She was very supportive of our story. Like she wasn't upset or angry at all that we were sharing this with her. She said, that's great. If that's what works for you, then that's wonderful. You know, what matters is we all love each other and accept each other. We all pretty much believe the same things. We're just all on our own journey. And that's a great summary of the prevailing wisdom of our day. And it's easy for us as Christians to fall into that way of thinking a little bit. Like with our neighbors and our coworkers, of course, we don't want to be a jerk. We don't want to come across as self-righteous. We don't want to seem pushy or judgmental, so we err on the side of caution. And we don't say anything about our faith. We keep it private. We don't talk about our beliefs. We don't stand up for truth because that's taboo. That, that's offensive. It might push some away. I might, might get in trouble at work. You know, we think maybe if I just live as a nice, moral person, they'll figure it out on their own. They'll naturally somehow believe in Jesus. Friends, that's not what Jesus has called us to do. That's not being salt and light. We are called to engage, to share, to shine. Guys, if we believe in the gospel, if we believe in hell, if we believe that God's wrath is upon those who don't know Christ, then we must engage. To refuse to engage people is the most unloving thing we could do course we do engage in a kind loving way we're not slick salespeople. we're not street preachers with the bullhorns screaming at the crowds but to shine means lovingly graciously like Christ engaging the cultures around us to be as unavoidable as salt in food or light in a dark room and to do so right where God has placed us your job your family your neighborhood your hobby wherever so let's close with our personal, practical challenge. And I want to tag on to what we heard yesterday at the 5S conference. It was a really, really good day. I learned a lot. We learned about what it means to love our literal neighbors, how we can better build relationships with them and, and shine in our neighborhoods. And I think this is such an important thing for us, especially where we live. Amber and I, we bought our first home four years ago, and we were really excited to be in a neighborhood and get to know people. But we quickly found out that a lot of people don't interact with their neighbors. It is very easy to hide in your backyard, to open the garage, to come out and close the garage when you go back in and keep to yourself. It took some time for us to, to build relationships with people, but here's what we found out. As we got to know our neighbors and befriended them, their whole demeanor toward us changed. They, it seems, they were wanting the same connection we were, but just no one wanted to initiate it. So that's your shine challenge for this year. Initiate a relationship with your neighbors. Yesterday at the conference, we were challenged to simply learn our neighbors' names, to write them down and to memorize them. Like that sounds so basic, but it was amazing when he asked people how many could name the eight closest neighbors, their, their names, less than 10% could do it. That's the starting point. I mean, how can we reflect the life of Christ in our neighborhood? How can we engage people when we don't know their names? That's step one. You've got to introduce yourself. Even if you have that awkward situation, you lived each other for, next to each other for years, <laughs> It's time to step out and say, hey, I'm really bad with names. Can you remind me your name? 
And once you know their names, then you can begin to build a relationship. You can do something really crazy and invite them over for dinner. You can have a cookout, block party in your driveway. You can be there for them in their time of need. So what does the shine challenge look like for you? What's your next step this year in loving your neighbors? If we all truly believe that God has placed us where we live as missionaries, and if we all made an intentional effort to get to know our neighbors, love them, and serve them, imagine the impact that we could have through the whole city of Olathe, through our entire community. Imagine the impact we could have for the kingdom. That's why this is so important. We're already there. We just have to step out and shine. Let's make a commitment this year to shine in our neighborhoods. And let's begin that commitment today with a time of prayer.